0: Hello and welcome back to the Cast to End Poverty, the podcast that brings you inspiring stories, insights and ideas from across the movement to end UK poverty. I'm Gavin Aitchison and in this episode we'll be hearing from someone who has been drawing on his own experiences to work towards a better society for everyone for more than 25 years. Wayne Green has taken part in various pieces of work nationally and is currently working with others in his own hometown of Worthing to challenge unjust systems and speak up about what could help to end poverty and unlock local people's potential. Last week, I had a conversation with Wayne and with Neil Cooper, Director of Church Action on Poverty. We'll go straight to that now.
1: Thank you both for joining. Wayne, I wonder if you could tell us a bit about how you first became involved in work to tackle poverty and run us through some of the activities and projects you've been involved in over the years.
2: Yes, well, uh, it has been a long period, and I'd like to say uh, to that that actually, it was some 20 years ago when I first met you, I think, Mm. uh, when you came as the new sort of head of CAP, just before, actually. Um, At that time, it was uh, Paul Goggins, who was in your role at the time, I believe, as a national coordinator. And I got involved because um, I had uh, two young children at that time, I i was, if I go back a step, uh, I'd been made unemployed as a young man. Uh, my wife was pregnant at the time. We'd given birth, she'd given, just given birth. We were renting a flat in Worthing. And then when about three months old, uh, we were evicted. Um, and I was shocked because I came from a middle-class background and I've never experienced anything like this before, and here I was with a, with my wife, with a three month old baby, no work, nowhere to go, nowhere to live, and I was shocked. And I put my baby. And that time was uh, uh, put him in a in a cardboard box with a with a wrapped up in a in a in a, in a, in a sort of cot, sort of sheet type thing, woolen sheet. And we went in the back of a garage van full of car batteries and that at 10 uh, i think about nine o'clock at night and drove for 12 hours holding this child in a back of works van to cornwall to live with the mother-in-law and that made me so angry and i was really angry you know i was told at local authority sorry can't help you at that time that was it and i thought oh my gosh what do i do so anyway, you now went back to Worth, went back to and went back to Shoreham, and ended up in Shoreham. And as we moved into this new, new sort of flat that we had managed to rent, and conned out of our rent by the landlord as well, he increased the rent and wouldn't move us in unless we we paid him what he wanted. We then moved in, um, and this woman over the, over the road saw us and almost adopted us, called Jocelyn Underwood. And I was saying Jocelyn Underwood was, uh, 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 I would have said, some people would say the local radical woman of Shore by sea But she was an inspiration to me and a guiding light to me on the issue of social exclusion and poverty and the work of, one, the church, uh, two, justice and peace, and also the issues of, of good people, local people, and what can be achieved. And she was a former head girl of Rodeen in 1940s, Her father-in-law taught Henry Moore, so she was. She went and and they started up Slade School of Art, which is quite radical in those times, I think. But at that time, she basically said to me, "You can do anything, you know, and always challenge the system and the people you meet. Quite often, uh, you know more than they do." And she was very inspirational. But she brought together a group of uh, of church goers at our local church, St Mary De Hora, but also she brought in people from members of the Justice and Peace Group. But her guiding light and experience was she knew what it was like, because even though she she was sort of part of the very wealthy sort of generation, older generation, um, her husband was a film director that had been made unemployed, and he had put a stone around his neck and jumped off a bridge in Shoreham. And drowned, left her with two children, so she understood, you know, the emotional sides and the, the the practical side of trying to survive uh, with two children as a woman. So I found that very interesting. She was so giving as well, but above all, her connections were unbelievable within the justice and peace groups locally in church. And she was, and because she had such command of the English language, she was eloquent. She could out taught, with one word, any politician, which was brilliant.
3: You then became involved in... uh, I think it was our first national property hearing in 1996.
2: Yes, indeed, that was quite an interesting and actually a really giant move, not just for for myself, but local society and national society. I think that's something that, that did change society very deeply. Uh, in the sense of, we start up a local group called Local People, uh, Ada Worthing, Local People, National Voice, and we put together our first ever poverty hearing in the local area, and we attracted 300 people. But what was interesting, you know, our our local politician uh, MP didn't turn up, um, but other politicians, local politicians did, and Church Action on Poverty through through David Cross came down and gave us that full support. But it was quite interesting to turn the dynamics round. Here we were, a group of six of us on a panel who were in poverty, unemployed, to speak to our decision, local decision makers, to the local population as well, and it was new. And uh, for people that won't know
3: uh, Ada or Worthing, it doesn't think of itself as a, a poor community does it?
2: No, it is, it's quite a wealthy area. In fact, it's one of the most expensive areas to move into. Um, but um, it's all, a lot of it then was hidden behind the scenes. You know, it, it was just little communities that knew each other and that was that. It was very underground, I think poverty was. Uh, in fact, there was no such thing as poverty. I
3: I remember a qu- one of your quotes from the National Poverty Hearing saying poverty is a battle of invisibility and being blamed for society's problems. Is that really, that's how you felt it?
2: Do you know, I, that's how I felt it and that's how I still see it because I've got it written down here. <laughs> because it's exactly what's happening today because one, the experience uh, of being part of a National po- uh, Poverty Truth uh, Poverty Hearing, going up and speaking to 600 leaders was quite frightening but the process towards it was quite empowering because I was saying we had someone called Fran Bennett uh, who came on board and she had a lot of empathy and we we were told you know this is a very experienced woman in her work but she was very gentle with us when we came together and we're very sort of I'm from South and I had to meet Northern people in Northern poverty. And and suddenly you suddenly realised actually it broke a lot of barriers down. Actually, there was a lot in common. There's no North and South divide because being poor in the South is still going without food as you would up in the North. So there's a lot of similarities that broke down those barriers rather than competitive. Uh, uh, Not only that, I felt at that time the same, we had, uh, uh, we had quite a good, then CAP had quite a, a core group of people around us that would nurture us as well. and We found that was quite good. And they gave us access to a huge amount of people that you would never, ever believe. You know, politicians, uh, uh, church leaders. And it was, for me, I used to pinch myself thinking, am I meeting these people? Are they actually listening to me? You know, you can believe it in some senses. It's this, we call it imposter syndrome now.
3: But that was because you had the the lived experience, so you knew.
2: Yeah, that was interesting. Yes, because we did a a, 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 a third a third poverty hearing that we did. Um, in fact, Peter Bottomley in Worthing, it was a time I think there was a crisis going on, and he wouldn't come out of a meeting to talk to us. And then when I said, "Well, we have the BBC interested," Peter Bottomley suddenly shot down from London his team and he came to the meeting but i think it shocked him the meeting the level of interest at that meeting and what was interesting about the uh, national poverty hearing there was the local side of it that experience first by those first was very powerful because he then took that uh local people and he said to me you don't know how important that is and he took it and he gave it to the Conservative Party to use, that bit, so it became politicized. But then, were, I mean, uh, the national poverty hearing itself, to my mind, unified the conscience of the country. It actually pricked the conscience and saying, here we are, we were opposite the House of Lords, the House of Parliament, and we were saying, come over and speak to us, and unfortunately, Both the leaders of the parties didn't come, but their other politicians did. And then I remember in the afternoon, a massive argument started in Parliament. And I thought, well, at last, we're having a proper debate, which was good. So it's quite empowering. And then from then
3: you went on to to work on the Future of Work uh, report?
2: Absolutely, yes. And I have a copy of it here, It's Future of Work report here. And I still read it today. And um, that was very, very uh, interesting to get involved in because you actually felt you had something really to say and people were prepared to listen. And we were part of this policy group that went across the nation, brought people together. And uh, we spoke, we covered the whole issues of everything that you covered today from tax benefits. I I was just reading actually, the issue of flexibility. Flexibility for who? And this is 20 years ago, and there's a woman in this report, and you'll remember this, Neil, this report, work and work, forgive us our debts for, who, for, for those who debts against, against us.
3: Yeah, the debt campaign now,
2: come on to yep, that. And that, and that. And in this, a woman talks about flexibility, no contracts. 20
3: years ago 20 years ago yeah things that we thought oh that's not a good idea they're just mainstream now but on the future <laughs> work so the the inquiry was led by the bishop of uh david shepherd david Liverpool. shepherd that's right um, but you were part of a group that uh gave a lot of evidence and uh, ideas to the, the the inquiry
2: yes absolutely we um, we we each, and Yes, actually, we produced a, a, we sat in a round of what they call a, a, those with first-hand experience through Church Action on Poverty were allowed or were, t- uh, were encouraged to meet once a month or once every quarter and put our findings together of our experiences on policy. And we covered the, all, the, all the areas of the benefit system, uh, the welfare system. We covered all the areas of work, housing, tax, food, living, but almost important, how society sees you at the local level and national level. And that's where I came in and said, uh, and I still say it today, poverty is a battle of invisibility. It's not being seen, and if those do see you, in power will see you, but won't let you join in on the actual policies themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember after uh, a most important point, after the poverty, National Poverty hearing, um, Labour got into power, new Labour got into power. And the first thing they put together was the exclusion unit. And our report was called the Exclusion Zone. And I remember then, once it had been set up, trying to talk to someone saying, oh, I'm out of work. Would you, could you give, you know, any vacancies there? And I was talking to this gentleman who had no idea about poverty in exclusion <laughs> unit. And I thought, oh, so that's quite interesting.
3: But some of the ideas that you did have, so the future of work report um, uh, was really influential on Gordon Brown when he came in as chancellor.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
3: So you talked Absolutely. about how you influenced Peter Bottomley and, the, and the, the Tory thinking. Well, that report was really influential on uh, New Labour and, and the Chancellor yes. Brown's thinking. Yes, so I, what,
2: I, I, I agree with you, yes.
3: You, we, we talk now a lot about speaking truth to power. So I think what, my sense is a lot what you've been doing over the past 25 years is, is speaking truth to power. Is that, is that a kind of phrase that has meaning for you?
2: It does the uh, uh, because the word truth to power and this word uh, and not only that we talk about this word agency about having a relationship actor agent process um, can be difficult can be very challenging but at the same time you are speaking to human beings and human beings do have the capacity to change as well but you also get resistance. My experience over the 25 years is um, if I was to put all those reports together uh, over 25 years, you would see there has been some dynamic changes, an understanding of mental health issues, the understanding of the importance of policy. But what we're actually seeing is uh, a harsher world to live in if you're poor is much harsher, but also which concerns to me with agency and power is today, for example, hear my story. Um, today I'm, I'm working on a, hear my story, working towards a Poverty Truth Commission. Whilst the local authorities have less budgets, cuts, etc., cetera, extremely uh, under constraints, um, you're seeing communities trying to do more themselves um, unfortunately, what you're seeing is less. How can I say? Uh, we've had quite a lot of resistance um, that I was quite shocked about. For example, my local MP, Tim Lawton, and I remember him a few months ago. You know, because I'm unemployed again. 25 years later, I'm unemployed again. Um, he challenged me in the street, and I thought this was very interesting. We talked about truth to power. He said to me, an agency. Uh, I talked to him and I said, would you be coming to one of our, uh, our support our uh, hear my story or come to one of our poverty hearings? And he said, uh, I find you quite arrogant Wayne. You think you are the person that knows everything about poverty. And I suddenly thought to myself, well, actually, I think it's quite arrogant of you to speak like that to someone who's unemployed and goes to a food bank. So that says the difference in, in agency, and arrogancy on the two sides of the coin. But there are people that do listen. And I think um, local authorities now having to open up and take in the conversations, but it's also, we want to own it. Is it. And I think to myself, actually, you know, when I come in, I'm, I can be quite, say, um, uh, um, diff, not difficult, tell the truth. This is what it's like. What are we going to do about it? These are solutions we feel that are, that can be done. What will you do?
3: So the thing that, having known you for like twenty years, Wade, the thing that amazes me is you keep going. Now, you get the knockbacks. You get you get your MP that just refuses to meet you or tells you that you're arrogant. But so what is it that's kept you going uh, all these years?
2: I want to see. Well. Uh, I suppose if I go back into my personal life, I'm actually adopted. Okay, so my real family lived four doors down from my family I was adopted in. I'm also uh, African Caribbean. I can go back three or four generations and they were slaves. I was one of the first West Indians or African Caribbeans in West Sussex in my era that I lived in at the time. But the key thing is I said, there's this issue like the I think a genetic resistance in me to see a better world. (laughs) Uh, I care about the world. I was in the merchant navy as well. I went through the back doors of Africa. I went through the back doors of the Middle East. Uh, I remember communist Poland, communist Russia. I remember going to all these countries as a young boy. And uh, and you just want to see a better world. And it is possible. It can be done. People say to me, is it your faith that does this? And I, Neil, n- 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 know this, I am uh, not truly a fully religious everyday Sunday person, but I believe there is something in the world. I believe that all faiths have some, s- some golden thread running through them. And I believe it is possible to change society. And one must keep going uh, 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 on this issue. And yes, you can end up, losing your job, you can end up losing your house, you can end up losing your home, you can end up losing everything, but they can't take your thoughts away from you. Anyone can. They are yours alone. And that's where where I come to And Not only that, I get inspiration from other people. Other people, I mean young people give me more inspiration today. You know, how is it that I see so many older people walking around saying, oh, what's to be done in the world? And you've got young people just riding up saying, I've had enough.
3: And, and you've always worked with, you've always worked with people of faith and justice and peace groups. So what what would Absolutely. you say to you know, What's your reflection on that in terms of the role that the church can play and people of faith can play in the fight against
2: poverty? Well, well funny enough, yes, it's interesting. Uh, um, I believe, and I said this actually, I recently applied for a vacancy for a. a for a job in the church recently, for the commission for racial equality or something. Uh, anyway, I wrote down um, the church itself, or if we think of people's belief systems, if they talk about God, if they talk about uh, Jesus, or if they talk about Jesus was a radical. He was on the outside, you know, and he he saw change and not only that if if you look at other issues of the church itself its roots are deeper than politics in the community much deeper and not only that is i find when you talk, i find the church as an area that do actually listen to you they can actually sit down i mean most people say oh there's a local vicar But actually, if you talk to a local vicar, you'll probably find they're very academic people, quite willing to listen, could have better lives than the lives they choose, and are very open to listen. Um, I have been very critical of church, saying it's become very too middle class. Um, It it feels too safe. It it won't want to go on the radical side of life, but it's slowly having to because of our morals and ethics. This is where we get them from. who were the first writers of law? It was priests and Jesuits and things like this. So, I, so I, for me, it, it, the church is a fundamental, fundamental uh, a pillar for change.
3: And so, the word change. You know, what, when you say that you can make change, you've got confidence that change is possible. What changes have you seen for the better? You can probably list plenty for the worse, but from the local activism what how do you look back and think yeah that's that's been worth doing
2: the under first of all the word poverty itself you can actually talk about it now and openly say well actually And then you've got if you look at how it's 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 crept in more into social sociological science science now where you see where you now see a, a new word that came up that i've never heard before furniture poverty And then, you know, I thought, wow, people to mental health issues linked to poverty. Um, I think uh, uh, people do openly talk about it, but but at the same time, the positive sides of it, you see local authorities are actually wanting people to be housed. Um, For example, here they've started up their own sort of almost estate agents to take it away from state agents. I think uh, business is much more ready to get engaged now on areas of corporate social responsibility and things in this area. Uh, uh, um, It's only once you get involved, that you actually understand most people are very critical. But once you're involved, for example, I remember the um, loan shark meetings we had in London. And where we met with... The bank, I've forgotten the name of the bank.
3: Uh, we met with Provident Financial, who were one That's of the
2: vendors. We've just just stopped doing home credit 20 years Absolutely. on. Absolutely, but I remember at that time where the, then it was the DTI officials coming in and we had a massive, uh, some of us had a massive argument with a couple of officials about this whole issue of loans and whatever. And I remember an MP coming in and to say, what's the problem? Went over to the officials Told them to be quiet. Next thing I know is the government of the day with the DTI is supporting the issue of looking at the whole loan shark issue as well. So that was a success as well. If we look at from where it started today, um, we look at food banks, you issue food banks. You shouldn't have them, it's disgraceful. But then you see the issue of we were talking about the issue of food itself. You know, how can I afford a hot meal? How can I afford and the churches with community groups stepped into that era, albeit at, a, 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 I felt, a slower rate, but then that looks at the whole issue of welfare. I mean, we were involved in the debate of the first ever citizen's income, and now that debate has come alive again.
3: So yeah, yeah looking back then, 25 years, what would you say the no, to your younger self, if you if you met yourself twenty
2: five years ago, what what would you say back to them to, to him now? Don't be so angry. Take time, patience for for whatever you give in a hundred percent. Just think you only might get five percent of it. But that's a success.
1: <laughs> I am going to and, ask a similar question. I think a lot of the people we work with are quite early on in in their journey on sort of campaigning and for activism. Or- whichever word they prefer. And a lot of people listening to this are probably in the same position where they're involved in maybe one project in their neighbourhood and and who knows what lies ahead for them. So I guess what what advice would you give to, to people who are maybe 20 years behind you on that journey in terms of values or practical advice? First and foremost, your experience is proof
2: that you exist. And two, is that you are equal to anyone else, and your knowledge is probably more than the person you talk to who wants to know. And three, um, I would say to anyone, don't ever give up uh, on a cause because people want you to give up. That's what they want you to do. They actually want you to give up and walk away. But don't. Be a thorn in their side. Rock that boat. Be a troublemaker. Because at once, a politician, he was former personal secretary to a Northern Ireland minister. And he once said to me, I've written a book called Troublemakers. And I said, oh, right. And he said, and you know, he said, we in the civil service at the top end. He was a permanent secretary. said, we like troublemakers because troublemakers help change the systems. So there you go. Excellent.
3: So that's, uh, yeah, troublemaker Wayne. (laughs)
2: Yes, (laughs) but the point of it is, is is believe in yourself, because the experience you have is unique to you and no one else has that experience. And not only that, uh, poverty is a battle of invisibility and and you must be seen and you demand to be seen. And don't ask for the lowest. Why should you ask for the lowest? We want the best out of our society and everyone should have the best.
1: William, was there anything that you've not
2: said or that I've not asked? What I wanted to say now is, is we're now doing, we have Hear My Story, and we're trying to get more speakers on, but it's good to know that there is a national network that we're not on our own, and I think it's important uh, that we're not on our own, but not only get, uh, uh, the point is, is, is why do I work with church national on poverty after all these years, you know? I haven't benefited out of it in any way, but what I have benefited from is having seen change within systems and structures that other people don't see.
3: That's fantastic, Wayne. Yeah.
2: No, yeah, thank you. Thank you, now.
3: And here's to the next 25 years.
2: Oh, yes. They'll still be going, still be going strong. as Absolutely. It's a battle that must be, won. It must be won. We all want a better world. And we have the, we have the money, we have the we have the expertise, we have the technologies, we have everything. It's just political will.
3: Well, if we had a hun- hundred more Wayne Greens, then I'd be confident that we could uh, change <laughs> well, the
2: world. Thank you. No, thank you very much for that, and, it, and and thank you for CAP for supporting us. I think the support mechanisms are very important, as well. So, you know, uh, uh, such as the, these type of things. So you're actually saying, well, people actually do. Care uh, uh, and it's having that uh, uh sisterhood, brotherhood sort of thing going around that you're all actually not the same, you're all uniquely different, but you all experience the, the pain, the hurt, the disillusionment, the, the exclusion of being outside society. But also, uh, at the same time, is, is if you work hard all together, it can change can, can occur. I think, Well, it has to.
1: That's great, Thank you very much. A nice note to end on. I'll, uh, I'll stop the recording there. Thanks very much.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cast to End Poverty. We've been hearing from Wayne Green of Hear My Story in Worthing and Neil Cooper from Church Action on Poverty. You can learn more about the work of Hear My Story online and we've put the link in the notes to this episode. If you've enjoyed listening, please do hit the subscribe button on your smartphone or tablet so you can check out previous episodes as well and listen in next time when we'll be taking another look at the movement to end UK poverty. Thanks and goodbye for now.